0: how to turn in your bibles to philippians 4 page 982 in the blue bible philippians chapter 4 we will look at verses 10 through 13 in this uh, book as we're getting very close to it being finished and this will be the second to last sermon in this book i hope to complete it uh, next lord's day evening as we'll look at the remainder of the book uh, from 14 to 23 but this evening 10 to 13 there is more than enough there for us to chew on for a half hour or so so I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come to this very familiar passage to most of us, we ask that you would give us insights and have this come through by your Holy Spirit's power in a fresh way, in a new way that we would see and behold things that perhaps we have not seen or considered before. And we just ask that you would bless us by your power and strength in Christ's name. Amen. Well, along with your Bibles, if we are studying the, the, uh, the virtue of contentment, I would also commend to you the book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs, which is very familiar to you. And he calls contentment in there that it is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, that's a lot. I'll read it once more perhaps a little bit slower. Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It would take us the whole evening to unpack that. Um, But contentment, you can see here, begins in the heart. It is a certain disposition of the heart that we have. It works its way from the inside out. It's something that comes from within. And then the second book that I would commend to you is by the English Puritan preacher Thomas Watson. He wrote The Art of Divine Contentment, and that is an exposition of Philippians 4 and verse 11. It's a great little book, and both of these books are part of the Puritan paperback series, which probably many of you would have. And Watson says there that the way for a man to be contented is not by raising his estate higher, but by bringing his heart lower. Not by raising our estate. That's often the way we look at it. Circumstances, more income, more of this, more of that. But it's not that way. It is by bringing our hearts lower. And the human heart, the natural heart, doesn't like things like that. It goes against our human hearts. The natural man wants to elevate self and raise his estate. And not bring his heart lower. And the natural man always wants more. And that is the thing about being covetous. It always wants more. It has a craving for more. It is never satisfied. And there is so much around us that wants us to be discontent with what we have and where we are at. Every single ad that we see on the television or ad that we hear or billboard that we see is always telling us to be discontent. The things that you have are not enough. You need more. There's always more. There's always a bigger, better, this or that, or fill in the blank. There's always more. And that is the illusion. That's the deception that many people buy into. There are several of those deceptions, and one of them is concerning wealth, finances. We often think, if I only had more money, if I was only bringing home more on my paycheck, if I only had this, and that is the illusion And did you know that the lottery business in North America is a hundred billion dollar industry? That's just lottery tickets. That doesn't count sports betting or any of the other betting, casinos, all those other things. A hundred billion dollars in North America. And just for interest's sake, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But Canadians spend three times as much as Americans on lottery tickets. Now, why do people do this? Why do they do it? Well, it's because they've bought into the delusion that somehow I'm going to buy this ticket and buy my way out of poverty. But all betting does is bring you into further uh, poverty. And of course, there's always that chance that you could win and lottery corporations always trot those people out because they want to keep and perpetuate that illusion in your mind going That, hey, this is a quick fix. I can be alleviated of all of my difficulties and troubles if I just had all this money. And we know that that is not the case. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that that money cannot buy happiness. But as the old saying goes, we'd all like to try it. But we know money can't buy happiness, and we know that many people that win these lotteries are not happy people. And there was one man several years ago who won more than $100 million. And he lost it all in the space of four years. And along the way, he lost his, his daughter and his granddaughter to drug addictions, all perpetuated from all this infusion of cash that they had in this luxurious lifestyle that they were leading. Now, our Bibles are full of warnings against falling in love with money. And Jesus himself says in the Gospel of Luke, a man's life does not consist in, in the abundance of the things that he possesses. It's not in the abundance of the things that we have. That's not where we are going to find contentment. And this evening, we will look at a valuable lesson on contentment, by the Apostle Paul. And last time we learned a valuable lesson on peace. And if you're with us in verses 6 through 9, then you, you can um, you can refer back to that. But we saw there right praying, and the result was peace in verse, verse 6 and verse 7. And then right thinking in verse 8 in this very chapter. And then right practice, putting those things that we are thinking. Again, our minds are going to influence the way that we live putting those things into practice in verse 9, and the result is going to be the peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God are going to be the result. And here we have a valuable lesson on contentment, and we pick up in verse 10 here. And the first point this evening, if you are one who takes notes or likes outlines, is that this is the importance of God's people that we see in verse 10. God's people. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So 10 years have passed since Paul was in Philippi. And along the way, uh, they were originally supplying Paul with money and other goods, but they lost track of the Apostle Paul. And so they had no way to be able to support him any longer. And so 10 years had passed and they had lost touch. They lacked the opportunity to continue to support him. And this is what Paul is addressing now. They've reconnected. The church heard that Paul was in jail. And so they they sent this man from the church, Epaphroditus, with this uh, care package of sorts, money and other goods that they send along with Epaphroditus. He goes 800 miles to where Paul is in jail to deliver this. And so Paul is writing this letter back as a thank you letter, a thank you note to them. And Paul says that because of this, I rejoiced. I rejoiced uh, to hear from them. And this is a great lesson that many of you know so well because many of you love and serve people in this church so well. When you as a Christian encourage another Christian, you will increase their joy and along the way, your joy will also increase. There are two things that come from serving and loving others within the church. And that is encouragement to you encouragement to the other person. Joy to you and joy to the other person. And that is what the Apostle Paul is so thankful for here. He says, I rejoiced. And that is part of the joy that Paul is getting at in this reconnection, in this letter that he's writing back, the fellowship that he had, that he remembered with this church. He had a deep longing to see them once again. And he had a deep longing to to continue to pray for them and to encourage them. And now he has opportunity to do so. They have encouraged him. He is encouraging them. And this is an epistle of joy. He rejoices in them and he rejoices to be able to encourage them. And now I would ask you, do you have those types of connections in your life? In this church, if you are a church member here, do you have those types of connections of joy and encouragement? that reciprocation, that you are, you are giving encouragement, you are receiving encouragement, and in the process, you are rejoicing in that. Now, as, as I mentioned in my pastoral prayer that uh, this past week, Ferd and I were at uh, Presbytery in Victoria, along with our wives, Tammy and Beth, and and it was a great time of encouragement. I'm so blessed and thankful for the for the PCA and for the Western Canada Presbytery and to be a part of it and to be able to sit through these different meetings that we sit through and hear reports of what the Lord is doing. That might sound boring on some level, and I must admit some of them are, but most of them are not. There's a lot of great and encouraging things happening within our Western Canada Presbytery. But It produced great joy and encouragement amongst us as brothers and sisters in the Lord as we gather together and talk to one another. And I'm so thankful to be a part of that amazing group and to see the things that are going on. It is a great encouragement to know that there are so many people out there that are striving for the glory of God within their local church and to see the good of the church happened and to see their their people served well. It is so encouraging. And we get joy from that, reciprocal joy as we share with one another in that. And, and that is part of what Paul is talking about here. The church of Philippi was disconnected with Paul for 10 years. They didn't have opportunity to be able to provide for him and to be encouraged continually encouraged by the ministry he was doing. And so in both the church and in Paul, they, they had lost out on that encouragement and lost out on that joy. And that is one of the things that we lose out on if we are not connected with God's people. If we are not here on the Lord's Day, if we are not providentially hindered in some way and we just don't show up on the Lord's Day, then we are not going to receive that encouragement. We are not going to receive that joy and we are not going to be giving people joy as well. If we are not involved in a small group, not serving, not known by people, just coming in and going out, just ticking that off the list, but not being engaged with the church family here, then you are robbing yourself and robbing others of joy and encouragement. We should be here to be able to spur one another on to love and to good works. And you can't do that if you're not here. And so, yes, it is a good thing to have the services streamed online, and there are people that need those in our congregation. That is a good thing. But unless we are providentially hindered, we should be here on the Lord's day, spurring one another on to love and to good works. Paul needed encouragement. And the church at Philippi was used of the Lord to provide that encouragement. And so we see the importance of God's people and we see the importance of God's church. And then secondly, we see God's provision in verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, there's a lot in those two verses and I just want to touch on a few points. But we notice that contentment isn't related to our needs because Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying whether my needs are met or whether they are not met, I'm going to be content in the Lord. I'm going to be content, whether I have much or whether I have a little. I'm going to be content. And the Apostle Paul lived out Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You all know that probably by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hebrews 13, the writer says there, Let our conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now, how could he say that? How could he say, be content with what you have? He goes on to say, For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And what all of these verses tell us, what the scriptures tell us, is the same thing in different ways. That contentment does not come from what we have. It comes from who we know. Contentment doesn't come from what we have. It comes from who we know. It comes from the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So contentment is not related to our needs. Not related to our needs. There's something else about contentment that we see here. Notice in the verse, contentment does not depend on how much we have. We can be content with a little or we can be content with a lot. We can be discontent with a little. We can be discontent with a lot. There are highs and lows at times in the provision that God provides for us. And we see those words there, brought low, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance, need. So Paul says sometimes life is like that. It's up and down. Sometimes we have an abundance and sometimes we are barely scraping by. And that is the way that life is. And Paul says that he has learned to live with much and he has learned to live with a little. But there's another thing to learn here. Contentment is something that we do learn. And that should give us great encouragement. If you struggle with contentment, you can learn it. It's an ability that we can learn. For I have learned, verse 11, in whatever situation I am to be content. In verse 12, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret. What is the secret? We're going to get to that in a minute. If you struggle with contentment, that should be of great encouragement to you that it is something that you can learn and grow in. It's not a gift. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of contentment, so I'm off the hook. I can be discontent. No, it's not a gift. It's something that we learn and we can be trained in as we submit to the Lord and grow in these areas. It's something that we can learn, but there's also a danger for us to avoid. And that is the danger of comparison. When we compare our lives to others, when we look at other people's lot in life and think, how come I don't have that? How come I don't have this? How come I don't have that? If we start to compare, we will be robbed of peace and contentment and joy. We cannot play the comparison game. It will rob us of that. It will take us down a very dark road we don't want to go down. So it's best to avoid comparing ourselves to others. There will always be More people that are more gifted, that have more money, that have more of whatever, fill in the blank. There will always be those people. And so we can't play the comparison game. We must be content with such things as we have. So God's people, God's provision, and then thirdly we see here God's power in verse 13. I can do all things through him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. Now Paul is writing in jail. Okay he he's been beaten up he's been maligned he's been slandered he's had all kinds of things done to him in the li- in his life in mis- in ministry He doesn't know if he's going to live from one day to the next, if he's going to have a a court hearing and then a beheading, or a court hearing and then being released. He doesn't know all of these things. Terrible circumstances. He's getting by with very little at this point, and yet he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet it is not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. There's the same principle. And then in John 15, the passage we read earlier, he said, uh, Christ says there, without me, you can do nothing. And so Paul takes that same truth and turns it around into a positive and says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can he do that? How can we do that? how can we say such a statement? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, it all depends on where the source of your strength lies, doesn't it? If the source of your strength is you, then you are not going to be able to do, you're going to be able to do nothing, as Jesus said in John chapter 15. But if your strength lies in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul's strength lied in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Without Him we can do nothing, but in Him we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Whatever comes our way, whatever trial, whatever circumstance arrives on our doorstep tomorrow morning, we can face it in the power and the strength of that God supplies through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here God's people, God's provision, God's power. We see that the Apostle Paul lived a very God-centered, Christ-centered life in all things and in all ways. And that was the key to his contentment. Now, just a a rather lengthy conclusion, just a fair warning. But there are two points in this uh, conclusion that I have here. And one is, To beware and the other is to be encouraged. Beware and be encouraged. Again, Jeremiah Burroughs, and this is the beware part. Beware. Jeremiah Burroughs from that book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contemment, he says worship is not only doing what pleases God, but also being pleased with what God does. It's an interesting turn of the phrase, isn't it? Worship is not only doing what pleases God, we want to please God. But it's also in being pleased with what God does. God's providence at work in our lives, God's sovereign hand at work in our lives. And you must be honest with yourself. You have faced challenges in your life, you will continue to face challenges. You've had things that didn't go your way, you've had relationships that have crumbled, you've been bereaved, you've been uh, told that you have an illness. You've sat across the doctor's table and had terrible news or been with a loved one that has? All of these different things that come in our way in God's providence. And we need to beware of something, and that is putting God on trial when those circumstances arrive. We cannot put God on trial like Job did at the end of his book. At Presbytery, I had to laugh because. Uh, Last year in this very building here, uh, one year ago, I had to preach before presbytery. And so there was one young man who got up to preach at presbytery on, um, was that just yesterday morning? Yes, it was. It seems like so long ago. Yeah, Saturday morning, he gets up to preach. And uh, I had to laugh, A, because it wasn't me and I was happy to have all these trials over with. But then secondly, the text that he chose was a text, a text I'd already chosen for this particular juncture in the sermon. And so I always find it very interesting when the Lord does that. And it was Psalm 131. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It's just three verses long. And we're only going to look at uh, verse 1 and, and part of verse 2. But it's a very interesting passage because it, it says this, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. My heart is not lifted up. That's proud. My heart is not proud, the psalmist is saying. My eyes are not raised too high. That is haughty, the psalmist is saying here. And what is the problem that most of us face? What is the root sin most of us face? Pride. That's right, pride. Pride is a great hindrance in most of our lives. We have proud hearts, and we think that we know what is best. And we even tell God that we think that something should happen in a certain particular way because we know what is best. And we say to God, what's going on in my life? Why is this happening to me? Why is this trial come my way? Why, why, why? God, we put God on the stand. We put God on trial. And it's an expression of great arrogance when we do that. It's an expression of our pride when we do that. That our eyes are haughty. That we pass judgment on things that are too great for us. Things that we don't know about. We don't know what's best. And as a result, we can grow bitter, we can grow angry, we can resent people around us, and ultimately, we can resent God. And that is a terrible place to be in. And that's not to say that we don't wrestle with questions. It's not to say that things aren't difficult that come into our lives and we might take some discernment to, to, uh, to figure out and navigate those different things. That That is true. That is viable. That is uh, something that we saw in the very uh, psalm that we just sang from in, uh, in, in hymn number 79. And also we see the psalmist talking, uh, how long, O God, and asking different questions of God. But that's a very different thing than putting God on trial and, and making him the one who has to answer to us. We need to remember that God doesn't have to explain himself to anybody. And if we have any answers in this world, it's only by His grace. He doesn't have to give us any answers. Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. God has His secrets. And sometimes He's going to keep them all to eternity. And when we begin to focus on the fact that God doesn't have to answer to anybody, that He is sovereign and we are not, that He knows things that we don't, that God works all things together for our good because He loves us. He is our loving Heavenly Father. Once we have that type of focus and remind ourselves of these things, then we remind ourselves that all of the circumstances that we go through are just passing. We are only sojourners. This is a temporary stopover. We are going to our homeland. And we will no longer face these particular challenges. But with that particular perspective, when we have that perspective that God is sovereign and we aren't, He knows what is best, we don't, then we have an opportunity to discover that peace that is mentioned in verse 2 of Psalm 131. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Would those around you say that you have a calm and a quiet soul. A calm and a quiet soul. Contentment is found in reaching that place that says, even when I don't understand, I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to trust the Lord. You realize that God is sovereign and seem things may seem very out of control to you, but they are not out of control to our sovereign Lord and God. God is in control. He always will be. The question is, are we going to trust Him? So that is the first warning. Beware of putting God on trial. And then secondly, be encouraged. Paul had learned the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. I can face all circumstances, whether I have a little or a lot, I can face everything in life if I'm imprisoned, if I'm free, if I'm healthy or beaten up. That was often Paul's ministry plan, wasn't it? He would preach, he'd get beaten up, he'd be thrown in jail. He'd preach, he'd get beaten up, he'd be thrown in jail. The things they didn't tell him in seminary. But we need to pursue these virtues and we need to pursue our Lord Jesus Christ. We can do all things through Christ. Our contentment comes from Him. It's with Him and it's for Him. Back in chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul told us that he suffered the loss of all things for the sake of Christ and for His glory and he counted them as rubbish. Rubbish. Manure. Rubbish. Paul was content to have Christ and to lose everything else. That was paramount in his mind we all experience discontentment and when we do we need to use it as an opportunity to remind ourselves of something very very important now one of the saddest verses that the apostle paul gives us is recorded in second timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 and it says for demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to thessalonica demas in love with this present world How many do you and I know who are in love with this present world? The things of this world, the comforts of this world, the money of this world, the excesses of this world, the luxury of this world. And maybe that's you sitting here tonight. You want the things of this world more than you want Christ. The world's going to tell us the reason we are discontent is because we need more. That's always the answer. We need more, more of something. Our Bibles are always going to tell us that we need more of Christ. And so when you feel covetous, when you feel discontent, use it to remind yourself that you are made for more. Not more stuff, but more of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need more of. That is the secret that the Apostle Paul is talking about. That is the secret and the antidote to discontentment. It is not more stuff. It is more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you resting tonight? Or are you restless tonight? In love with this present world, you can fill your life full of things and not be fulfilled. And the reason you were made is for more. And that is more of the Lord Jesus. Not more stuff. It is more of Christ. Contentment has to come by being content in your relationship with Christ. That if you have nothing else and just have him, you are content. Like the Apostle Paul was in that prison. If you have Christ, you have everything. And if you do not have Christ, you have nothing. Regardless of having everything that this world has to offer. In reality, you have nothing. It is going to perish along with your soul. And may it never be said of any one of us here that we will perish along with our goods but that we will find that secret of contentment, that we will find the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Him we will have all of the riches of heaven in Christ. Let's pray. O Lord God, we come to another lesson from the Apostle that is much easier said than done. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us, wherever we are at in, in this road of contentment, Whether we have made great headway or whether we are struggling or lagging behind and we are in love with the things of this world, may may we cast them away and may we treat them all as rubbish in comparison to what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen.